Alrighty, and and we are live. Welcome to Generation Jazz, a new podcast. My name is Matt Christopher. Here with uh, two of my buddies. Do they want to introduce themselves now? They totally can. Hi, my name is Caleb Gordon, and this is. My name is Bobby Smith, and. Caleb was just adjusting the microphone. Yeah. Microphone's good, man. We didn't die out. Yeah, no, we're good. Ah, there you go. Still recording. Yeah. Everything's still on. Oh, well, again. Your name was? My name is Bobby. Uh, Bobby Smith, and Bobby I Smith. am a drum slash uh, percussionist. We didn't say our instruments yeah. yet. Oh, I'm so sorry. We have to introduce the theme of the podcast before we get going. Ah. Oh, right. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, we are a a group of musicians, young musicians. We are interested in putting this content out for whoever wants it, really. Um, no discrimination in terms of content, who our content's for. Niche-like content people would be other young jazz musicians who are interested in learning about um, some of the more important detailed facets of playing in a combo. The three of us play um, in combos and, and different groups uh, in, in our respective areas of of the country we're americans um if you couldn't tell by the sound of our pretentiousness in our voices a um <laughs> and uh yeah we we love to play we love to share the music we really wanted just to talk about how our roles in in music what's as our musicians, life in music yeah what our life in music is like what what our roles in music have been going forward we want to just elucidate the people. why is it the only thing we talk about every day this is what this podcast is for it's just this is literally mainly at this point if you're listening to this like in five years and we're big the reason why we're making this is because we can't stop talking about jazz and we want to get it down this is this <laughs> is where people come where you know you're annoying your friends and talking about music theory too much and just talking yeah about theory swing this is where you come just to basically you know fall asleep or you know just be awake <laughs> all day yeah. Either or, but not. Yeah, yeah. You either can be here just to be happy or, you know, just be here to ASMR it up and just listen to the jazz. Absolutely, absolutely. We're going to try and get some uh, some interviews going, hopefully at some point, with some some of the people that we play with and maybe some big names eventually. Who knows? Probably not, but uh, some people. Yeah, I'll just work on getting Wint in here. It's all right. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. We'll just start. We'll, we'll make our connections. yeah, yeah. yeah. Get some people over here, have some good discussion. Just to talk about, mainly, because we all play different instruments. We play together. We have a combo called Sidewinder. Um, the three Ooh. of us do. Yeah, shameless plug. Facts. Um, hire us. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're a three-piece. Uh, I play I play trumpet and flugelhorn in the three-piece. Caleb, Caleb plays guitar. Yeah, I play... Six string and seven string, since uh, bass players are hard to come by. Bass players are really hard to come by. Yes, for oh. some reason. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and then Bobby's our Bobby's our percussion man, as he plugged earlier. Yeah, you know you have to plug it early. You know the drummers, <laughs> you know, we, we lay the foundation. But yeah, that's I'm, true. I'm pretty much you know kind of the guy that just you know chills in the back. But I kind of like chilling to the left sometimes too, because I don't like always being in the back. But yeah, I'm the dude that keeps the rhythm, but also. Likes to kind of compliment all the other instruments. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get into the details again about that later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Didn't get too detailed on it. 
Yeah. Spank, spangalang, you know, walk the dog. Walk the dog, a lot, a lot of cowbell, a little more cowbell on this on this track. Um, is that copywritten? Will we get sued for saying that? Maybe. Please don't sue us, Lauren Michaels. <laughs> I think we can say anything <laughs> words-wise. Also, playing any music. this is a – I, I want to give a little caveat before we get further. Um, this podcast is – is probably we're gonna call it like a PG thirteen plus rating on it. Um, I get very passionate about this. I think we all do, and sometimes our language can exceed that. Uh, so to any young, young, young listeners uh, or and or parents, just be aware. Um, you might hear a couple nasty words, but it's just because we're really passionate about what we do. That's all it is, right? Yeah. It's gonna be connections between whatever we say. Yep. So it's definitely not going to come out of context, but definitely if you know it's going to be one of those topics we're talking about, we're definitely going to be self-considered about everything we say. Yes, it's a very good goal of ours. So, um, guys, just to start, if we want to really get into the nitty-gritty about it, let's talk about who we are so these people can, can learn. So, Bobby, you want to tell the people who you are, why you do what you do? Yeah, um, appreciate it, Matt. Um, so again, I'm Bobby, uh, Bobby Smith. Um, really, for me, um, I kind of s- didn't actually start on drums. That's the that's the fun part for me. I actually started on trumpet, uh, which you'll come to find out later. You know, from our other trumpet guy. So I definitely started on brass. So I had a different approach to what music was, and then rather than the rhythm aspect, but more with the melodic aspect. So it definitely gave me a different insight. Um, but then once I went from pretty much, you know, playing trumpet, I actually kind of dwelled off and went and also played uh, some tuba as well because um, I actually got braces later on. But I still wanted to play drums um, actually growing up, too. But um, unfortunately, my parents wouldn't let me because they said it was too loud. But definitely thought brass was still as loud also. Um but moving on, uh, eventually I was able to start playing drums once I moved to uh, good old Virginia. Uh, family got stationed out there. Uh, met this guy named uh, David Sneed, uh, middle school band director, but uh, who also marched um, for DCI professionally. So I was like, oh, yeah, this is my time to shine. Uh, so DCI stands for Drum Corps International. Uh, yes, it's basically uh, – For anybody who doesn't know. For people, uh, if you're a prodigy at marching, um, basically that's for you. It's band nerds on crank um, for people that look at us from the outside. Oh, <laughs> and uh, keep talking, Bobby, but I believe my food is ready. Ah, yes, the, the wonderful food, yeah. But uh, while he's gathering that as well, um, I started on percussion whenever I was early off in uh, middle school and then kind of grew from there. It was something I knew I wanted to do, so uh, pretty much – I talked to my director and was like, hey, I want to take this, you know, full force. So started kind of getting hand-me-down lessons from him occasionally during school. Um, then eventually he told me um, one day about this program um, based out of the Virginia Arts Festival called the Rhythm Project. And that kind of really dwelled me into learning um, percussion even more in drums because with that, basically learned how to play the steel drums from there. And then also African drums and whole nine yards of different just rhythmic and just epic instruments as well too so that's what really made me start enjoying percussion even more because i was like this is kind of the home i want to be in um then eventually put me off to traveling you know around the country with the virgin arts festival meeting other people and then actually studying the instruments where they originally originated from so it made me have a better appreciation of what 
you know, the percussion realm is and then also what drums is because it's not just drum set. And um, most people think, you know, drummers are just drummers, but actually drummers are much more than that because they actually, most drummers that do take the studies and learning percussion, um, they actually want to understand more the melodic ways of the instrument and then also what the other players play, for example, like guitarists, the, the, you know, um, trumpet players, saxophonists as well, um, woodwind, for example. Um, but kind of started playing steel drums, traveled to Trinidad every every year for carnival, played in a, a giant steel band as well, 250 people, big crowd. Um, and then that was kind of the thing I picked up. And then when I would come back home, um, I was also going to an art school called Governor's School where I was part of the orchestral program and then also the jazz program where that's where things took off even more. <laughs> uh, still kind of in that uh, high school, middle school phase. But uh, on top of that, it was still gigging. So I got introduced to the gig life very early um, where I was either going on tour during the summer with the group or either during the school year, we was always gigging every weekend. So and I was getting paid too as a high schooler. So most high schoolers um, definitely weren't getting paid. Uh, most of them were begging for gigs or either just not getting introduced for gigs. So uh, we had the fortunate as a group to actually get paid. Um, and it was definitely fortunate to get actually make an income because it actually taught us how to manage money, things like that, you know, early off as just young adults um, in high school as well. Um, and then with the art school I went to, every year we went out of the country. Um, we got to go to Europe um, and play jazz um, every semester. Um, this kid. <laughs> so I, I definitely say fortunate. So, like, Virginia kind of was the, like, stomping grounds of, like, just, like, yo, there's actual, like, real arts out here. It's just you kind of kind of have to put yourself in the right situation and be in the right area. So definitely got lucky uh, being placed out there. And really, Governor's School and the Virginia Arts Festival was the bigger thing that took off for me. Um, but currently right now, I'm at Liberty University um, studying jazz studies and percussion performance and commercial music. Um, with a minor, um, which I recently just picked up, uh, actually last year, because um, I realized that I wanted to work on a little bit of recording more um, by myself, um, you know, do independent recording, and then also helping other friends out as well along the way, um, and it's been pretty gracious doing it as well. Um, I play jazz trios around here, and get to travel to Nashville, D.C. sometimes, and trying to, you know, get a little bit bigger, you know figure out my ways of how I can grow a little bit more outside of Lynchburg until I finish my degree, but also be a better musician in small towns and also bigger areas as well. So, yeah. Who, who influenced you in terms of, uh, in ah. terms of jazz music? Like so, actually, um, I'm going to be a little bit of an antagonist right now. Um, it wasn't a jazz artist that influenced me first to oh actually really? start actually even loving music in the first place. Um, it's actually a classical artist. Okay. Which is weird. Uh, so... Ludoslavsky. Uh, yeah, so um, yeah. look it up. This is not a classical podcast, so you can look up who Ludoslavsky is. But um, Ludoslavsky, Symphony Number no. 4, and um, Sostakovich. Those two artists actually really developed me and getting more into music because it made me understand uh, percussion parts on a whole nother level and actually realized that percussion and just drums is not just banging on an instrument. Like, it actually takes a lot of technique. It takes a lot of hard work and actually takes a lot of just visually looking at what your part is, but also understanding what everybody else is playing as well. What he's saying, guys, is that he's a real musician, too. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, so I'm serious. That's what that's what that's what you're saying. Yeah. And, it, not, and that's not to be like, you know, the person like, you know, like gloating about that. It's just one of those things that I took it upon me that I realized that. Everything's not about just drumming. Um, it's more there's it gets a lot deeper than that. And I wanted to understand music on a bigger level. 
where it was like everybody's always coming up to me and being like, oh, you're just a drummer. You only just read music. I'm like, no, it gets a lot more complicated. And if I explain a little bit, educate you, that's why we started this podcast. So this is where I get to kind of talk about my passion rather than, you know, I get to talk to individual people now. Whoever's listening out there gets to hear about my passion as well. Yeah. I'm eating pizza, by the way. It's yeah. It's good. Dude, it looks delicious. No, no food ASMR. No food ASMR, That's so we're not going to be... trying to lean away from the mic. Caleb, um, well, actually, before you do that, though, before we, before you pass it off completely, Bobby, um, so, so I, I was out getting my pizza, so there's a lot of cool aspects for those of you guys listening in, in Bobby's individual sort of, like, coming to... Uh, his like ascension to where he is today um i guess the the question you know that i want to put on each of our minds and you're absolutely right classical music great but it is a jazz podcast so like which jazz drummer would you say really got you like centered on your time and like you know what i'm talking about Ah, making it hard. I'm making it hard. You making it real hard on me. Just which 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 artist do you feel in the jazz world do you try and play like the most? Do you try and sound like the most? So I'm gonna name more than better. one. Now okay. I'm gonna name the first one that obviously got my attention. Um, he's actually on my pair of shoes. Um, I wear a custom pair of shoes that actually a coworker made for me. Um, and it has a quote on it. Um, but pretty much uh, one drummer that I definitely really love just style playing was Art Blakey. Um, first time ever hearing Art Blakey, I was just, just mesmerized. Um, just the comping, his way of comping with the bass drum and then just the way that he comps, especially with just the uh, riot cymbal and then whenever he's speaking um, his language with the drums to the other musicians, especially how he runs his band. Uh, it just caught my attention on how he runs it and just how structured he does everything as well. Um, next to that, because I like to pull from different drummers. That's the thing about it. Um, everybody has their different styles and different qualities of how they play. Art Blakely, he, he has a group called Art Blakely and the Messengers. So like that group in itself, they have a, a very nice bebop style that I like where it's just tight old jazz, but also at the same time it's moving to the modern side a little bit as well especially in his technique of how he's playing drums. Um, and then if we get, you know, a little bit more kind of modern, because I know we'll definitely have time to talk about plenty of other artists. <laughs> um, oh, yes. Nate Smith. So Nate Smith, for the love of God, like, it's just, oh. If you want to talk about mixing super modern, just very just complex rhythms, but that are very simple at the same time, it sounds very complex, but he's just playing simple things that he's practiced over for many years and just making him sound really complicated because they're at faster tempos, or it's just how he swings it. He knows how to manipulate the beat a, a lot. Um, and that's one thing I fell in love with early off or in middle school. Manipulating the beat's fun. Playing polyrhythms are very fun, especially when you're able to understand them as well. And that's just something I've been practicing myself ever since my freshman year of college and just right. want to get better at as well. So Nate Smith and Art Blakey are kind of my two guys. Right. Yeah. That's... Yeah, no, no, that makes a lot of sense. See, I, I, I never knew that. Um, the reason I ask is, you know, it's I think it's super cool to, especially when you've been playing with someone for a few years now, 
you know, could listen to the way that they play. And obviously, I, I know I know the way that Robbie plays drum set. I've heard it for years now, and I like I could I could probably blindfold myself and have three drummers in a row, and I could tell you which one was Bobby, just because I know like his little idiosyncrasies. But now that he said, you know, R. Blakey and Nate Smith, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I can hear how that's influenced him, which is really cool, you know, as a musician, listening. It, this, is, this isn't just like a playing. We're not here to talk about why we play. We, we want to talk about why jazz is, and we listen like crazy. The three of us here, we listen to a lot of music. Um, and, you know, you get a lot from listening. You get a lot from gigging. But in listening, you can, you can pick up little bits of what makes, you know, Bobby Bobby, you know, or or Caleb Cable Caleb or Matt Matt, you know. Yeah, Caleb, you got to you got to mold the Play-Doh. That's 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 how you got to think that's about exactly you got to mold what the Play-Doh. So so for, you know, I guess for you guys out there, um that's an important thing to recognize that your individual sound should never be a a broad like you shouldn't want to like for me, you know, I wouldn't want to go out there and play exactly like Miles Davis unless I was transcribing a Miles Davis solo. I want to play like me and I can use Miles's technique and I can and I can do something that do things that he does, but I'd rather the language be, you know, me too. You know, everybody there's there's a there's a and I hate to bring this up this early Caleb, but there's a there's a thing that goes around here in in the jazz community and the music community. Uh, it's just a simple little lick. Oh my god! <laughs> well, might as well get it over with now. By now, it's a simple little leak, but but everybody everybody knows it, and you know. I played it on drum set, so I'm not even gonna lie. I played it on the toms. I've played it on trumpet. I've played it. I've played it every. Everybody's played it at some point. But the thing is, how can you fit that into your solo? How can you make that your own? You get the metaphor I'm going for. It makes oh, yeah. sense. I played it this morning at church. You played it this morning at church. <laughs> See, it it happens, and the I guess the whole point of that is. It um, breaks necks, and people look at you weird when you play it. But like, you get what I'm saying. It's like it's a, it's a, it's a thing that everybody knows, and it's unchanged. The lick is unchanged. You can play it at all twelve keys if you want. You can play it. You know, you can play a major. You can play it if you wanted to. Cause it's a lick. It's like a minor lick. Um, you could you could do something weird with it. But everybody knows the rhythm. Everybody knows what you're doing when you try and do it. But how do you fit it into your own individual playing style without coming across as, you know, a copycat entirely? How can I right. fit that into my solo now? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It, it, it's, it's an expression of your own individuality. That's the whole tangent that I was getting on. Okay. Caleb. Oh, it's Caleb's turn. It's yeah. There you go, bud. Go ahead, bud. Hello. All right, so talk about where I started. Hmm. So I actually, ironically enough, started on trumpet as well, and I learned very quickly in one year of middle school band that I sucked. Like, God, I was bad. <laughs> it was bad enough that someone asked me to play at a uh, medieval thing this uh, stupid trumpet piece they had written or it had printed off the internet. They're just like, can you sight read this? And I was just like, yeah, sure. And they gave this other kid like the lower, the lower harmony and gave me the higher one. And that was in one 
one year of middle school man i could not access that upper range at all <laughs> it was so terrible but yeah that was um that was my first instrument i played and i didn't you know i sang at church and stuff like that and did that gig for a while but i really started playing guitar when i was 10 it wasn't really my decision i was Christmas morning, my brother and I were given a decision, and my brother's older by a year and a half, so he got to choose which instrument he wanted, and the bass was bigger. So so that was his... That was his decision. That, that was, was his decision. The bass was bigger. What kind of bass was it? It was a first act black, you know, P bass. A little P bass? Yeah, and then so I got the first act vanilla Telecaster. Shout out first act. Yeah, shout out first act, those yeah. guys. Yeah, no, they were the soundtrack to my to my childhood right there. Perfect. Oh yeah, Walmart, yeah. Target, all good though. Yeah, I start. I pretty much um, played with along with this really awkward Burt Casey book and VHS because you know I still had VHS player. So I played on. Learned this how was to in the early aughts, by the way. Yeah, this was in the my early days of playing. That's probably I was about probably 12 and uh for reference now i'm 27 mm. so um but you know it wasn't terrible it gave me a lot of the fundamentals of how to play chords and i started playing uh, you know i started p doing the church gig and playing in church because that's you know where the opportunity was to play at that time i actually uh didn't get introduced to jazz until i got to college where i went to liberty university it's actually where i met bobby even though Bobby and I are from the same area, yeah. Hampton Roads, 757, shout out. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Matt. Yeah, you're 540 gang over here. 540, Roanoke. Uh, but yeah, Bobby and I are from the same area. I never met Bobby until I got to Liberty. And actually, he came in after me. And, you know, Bobby and I have been playing on gigs, and it's been great. But um, yeah, I started studying jazz with. Um, uh, doctor now, Doctor Dwight Spencer, and um, shout out, yeah, Dr. shout Spencer. out, Doctor Spencer, and it it was great. He really kind of pushed me in that direction where he was just like, yeah, you're, he's just like, you're the, you're like right there. You can do so much better. But also bring me fried chicken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he would do like oxtail because his favorite was when my wife would make oxtail. But um, yeah, he was he was such a cool cat, man. He was really uh really giving in his time and putting effort into building the guitar player that i am and i actually didn't start gigging until i got to liberty and started joining uh jazz ensemble and joining round jericho which was dr spencer's um, jazz combo that he ran at liberty and you know playing with a few kind of other random gigs when i can get them because mm -hmm. everybody was just like oh yeah we have this fancy you know, jazz sort of kind of gig, and like we need a guitar player, which is not often because usually everybody wants a piano player. So, yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. So then, uh, so then, who who did you listen to first? Who influenced you? The actual first jazz tune I listened to, I can't remember the the name of it, but it was the Glenn Miller Orchestra. It was in um, ah. Uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. They uh, have that s song where they're playing hide and seek, and um, and it's just 
uh, is this the first the like swing, is it a swing chart? It was a swing chart, yeah. It was hundred percent a swing chart. Um He's got a lot of those. <laughs> yeah, I would hope so. Um but it was it was my first time listening to any actual jazz. Um like I can't even think uh, it's kinda surprising, but I never even heard Nat King Cole really until, you know, after that. Like that's really the first thing I think of. Mm. Uh, even chestnuts roasting, man. So, um, you know, that's really where that was really my first um, like jazz tune I listened to. My first one I played was um, "Honeysuckle Rose," and um, I think Bobby mentioned earlier that to me that he was his first tune was "Autumn Leaves," mm-hmm. and um, Matt was yours. Sea Jam Blues. Sea Jam Blues, man. That is Duke Ellington. It's a that is such a fun tune. Well, I mean, I'll explain how that came to be when I tell where I come from, but continue. Yeah. So, um, that's pretty much how I got into jazz. I started learning at school. I didn't start playing jazz until I got to college. And uh, I won't say that I'm the best, but um, no, I, at least I at least at this point know my instrument. Um, you know, yeah. I know the feel of my instrument and how to get around on it, and I... Yeah, always strive to get better. Yeah. Um, think people that actually influenced me, which I think was our question we were going for, was um, I think the first person who really influenced me in jazz as I listened to, not a guitar player, I listened to, um, I think it was uh, Bob Reynolds. Really? Yeah. Ah. Bob Reynolds Guitar Band. Man, I'll tell you what, that was the coolest record with uh, Mark Lettieri and uh, Nurfelder. Oh, I love Mark Lettieri. Oh, my gosh. It is absolutely insane listening to the difference between the two. If PRS wants to send me a Fiore, you're more than welcome to, PRS. I would, <laughs> I'd kill for him. Just shout out to that whole entire group. Honestly, I just want to mention Bob Reynolds, Mike Lettieri, uh, Michael Weigalden. We'll get into them later on. but just as There will whole, be a Snarky Puppy episode. 100%. That's just a big influence on its own because right there, those group of people, those are the type of people right there for jazz. And honestly, just them alone, they provide so much knowledge just on just the new age of what jazz is. And 100%. Just them not taking the basic aspects of what jazz is and them doing what their own thing is. It's like what we said in the beginning, just creating the molding of what you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's definitely opened really up a cool. very large aspect of the instrument itself with, um, you know, really when I was starting learning to play, everything was about, you know, adding a drive pedal and, <laughs> and playing uh, back in black and, you know, all that stuff. And it was just like, oh, yeah, just play a guitar solo on the pentatonic scale. And that's it. Yeah. Which a lot of there there's are nothing incorrect that I, I will say there's a caveat. If that's the type of music that you play and that's the type of music that you like to listen to, that's awesome. That's great for you yeah. people out there because there's a lot of good in there. And and we're not trying to critique anything. If you play, you know, twangy, twangy riffs on your telecaster all day, country rock stuff, that's cool too. Whatever type of music that you want to do, that's awesome. This is a podcast about jazz, so we're gonna talk about that. But it's important to also note that, you know, if you're at the point in your own individual playing where that's the type of soloing that you can do and you just play pentatonic licks back and forth and back and forth or maybe the blue scale, uh, 
Yeah. That's great. That's amazing for you, you know? Um, also to add on that, um, so I take the same approach to that. Yes, this is a jazz pro- podcast as well. And um, even from, like, my personal point, um, that's one thing I took as just music as a whole. Um, my better understanding I took for music is just in general, um, I've learned as a drummer, know all your styles. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, th- the thing that's for me that's, like, helped a lot in life is people – love creative musicians the more creative that you can add other styles and in, into newer styles and then older styles then they start to understand a little bit more that okay this person actually has taken that time to figure yeah. out how this works with this um and then it's just like how can his mind actually or his he or she how can their mind actually think of like how that fits in there yeah and that's one thing like people always are just like okay Yes, that was out of proportion sometimes, but, like, yo, how are you able to actually, like, figure out, like, that could actually align with that? It did sound definitely different to play, you know, some Latin groove over a, a you know, a bluegrass groove. Definitely have done it before. Um, <laughs> just jokingly done it because, you know, you got to have fun at a gig sometimes. But it's just one of those things. Have fun with what you're doing. But right. certain times you can play certain things, and at certain times Well, we'll do that. Yeah. We do that in our own individual playing, too. You know, when the three of us are, you know, a duo or whatever. We'll do that just because, you know, it's a fun challenge for us. Like, um, shoot, what tune was it uh, that we did as a bossa on Friday? Caleb and I had a gig on Friday. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, hey, let's just do that as a bossa. And we did. And it worked. I forget what tune it was, but it's not a yeah. tune that is a bossa nova tune. We were like, let's just do it in that style and, and see what we learn from it. See, because that – when you know and we can get into this later but for me like as a horn player it the way that i approach the melody the way that i approach the head of the chart or or whatever it's really dependent on what those rhythm section guys are doing if the rhythm section guys are if they're gonna be if they're if they're gonna play you know a chart a certain way you know if it's like a straight you know double time swing then my solo and my improvisation my the way that i play the head is gonna like reflect that but if they do something weird and and we change the tune to like a latin groove then my soloing is going to be more reminiscent of latin artists yeah you know and we'll get into all of that how we work uh that's the next segment after we finish the introductions but yeah but yeah that's pretty much how i got to where i am as a guitar player i mean um you know i didn't actually start getting into co- till college and you know just every single time i play i try to get better or at least you know and you know knowingly analyze when i'm playing not not obsessively i actually i can't stand going back and listening to videos of myself because i know i'll spot <laughs> out the stuff that is just like oh yeah that didn't work yeah but um but it's out there yeah it's out there and um you know I- even if i'm even if i'm pushing the bounds of harmony trying to get a little bit outside the key and further and you know trying to incorporate that stuff in my lines you know that's really just the name of the game and even when i'm playing with you guys it's just uh, one of those things where we literally stop thinking about everybody that's actually there uh, at the gig or stopping by the ice cream shop and just hearing us play because they're get trying to get ice cream but it's exposure it's, it's ex- the majority of it's exposures uh, but we get don't get paid in exposures. We get actually money, which is nice. It is nice. Um, but you um, still didn't pay me for the gig yet. Yes, so. I did. Did you pay me? Yeah, it's cash out. 
Oh, Cash App. I don't get notes for that. Yeah. So, so um, cool. Yeah, but uh, you know, even even that, it's always about. Got to get my bread. I'm chasing yeah, my bread. Facts. Yeah, so <laughs> even even at that point, we're just like trying to like impress each other. It's just like it's just like here, watch this. Yeah. So um, oh, it's yeah. crazy. So Matt, where did you start? Yeah. So um, I I st- I was interesting. My uh, <laughs> my my upbringing was interesting. I'm I'm from Roanoke, Virginia. Uh, five four zero represent. Yeah. I was I, I was born in Lynchburg, ironically enough. Um, uh, and then you know. That was just because I guess my mom was in Lynchburg when she went into labor. But I was born at Lynchburg General, and I lived in Roanoke my whole life, uh, except for now I live outside of Roanoke. Um, Literally, like, right in between Roanoke and Lynchburg. Yeah, right in between Lynchburg. Uh, So I I started, um, I was was super into music. I was the, the kid who grew up with music on in the house all the time. My, my parents were big into having music playing whenever I would, like, play as a baby and as a kid. And the music that was playing was always, it was always, it was, like, crooners. It was Sinatra and Dean Martin and Elvis, lots of Elvis and Bruce so Springsteen. Was it Mozart? It wasn't Mozart. Mozart makes babies smarter. <laughs> 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 no, no, it was, um, it was, it was music that they liked. And it was, so, you know, my dad loved Bruce Springsteen and and loved Elvis and loved Frank Sinatra and loved like all of that sort of it's a that's a lot of genres of music in one but lots of stuff like that I'll tell you where I really got into it though as a kid was Christmas time we always had those Christmas jazz stuff you brought up the Christmas Christmas song so Nat King Cole Nat King Cole was always on the uh always on the radar for me as a kid anyway uh I, I was four years old when I first started playing I picked up um a little first act guitar, and I guess I would. The interesting, the funny thing about that, uh, Caleb was I didn't I didn't know that you had to fret on a guitar. I thought that like to play the guitar, you would change the tuning pegs. I thought the tuning pegs ha- were how you played it. So I would like I would like strum, and then I'd like tune it to a chord, and then strum, and then tune it to a different chord, and then strum all these open chords. I didn't. Man, you just access the whole nother level of playing. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I was, I'm kind of a genius, is what I am. Before your time. Before my time. Um, but yeah, guitar was how I started. Um, I was four. Um, twenty one now. So you didn't 22. start on trumpet. Did not start on trumpet. Started <laughs> on guitar. Um, they both started on trumpet, and I started on guitar. Uh, and then I took piano lessons, but from a woman from my old church named Miss Bitsy. I forget her last name. Bitsy was her name. Really cool uh, older lady. I don't know if she's still with us um hopefully she is i think she is because i saw her recently um but shout out to her for trying to teach a stubborn little boy like me how to play the piano um i have adhd so it was really hard to like focus uh i never i never properly learned how to read the music i, I never did the right way i always play by ear um and that's so i so she was like i can't really teach you anymore so i just sort of taught myself from that point which is really pretentious sounding but I would pick it up and I would, you know, hear whatever song and I'd be like, I'm going to try and play that on the piano or I'm going to try and chunk that out on the guitar once I figured out that you actually had to fret the, the damn guitar. <laughs> um, and, and I sort of just grew individually up until when I was like 11 in the fifth grade. Um, pick, I picked up the trumpet uh, in fifth grade. 
just from the standpoint of I would always listen to that Sinatra stuff, that Dean Martin stuff, and I was always infatuated with the it's called a shout chorus. Every like every good old big band song, there's a big shout chorus. Uh, a lot of those old Sinatra charts, there's, uh, you know, Sinatra and Dean Martin. They their their charts would have these big, loud, brassy sections. I was like, whatever that that top note voice is, I'm gonna do that. Honestly, though, that that's <laughs> what made me fall in love with big band, though. Yeah, like, no, it is like because. For like, especially when you're playing a big band chart and you have that build up with that, just going into it with like just the brass itself, like the drums always are set is just setting that up. Just yeah, like, yo, we're, we're you know on the you ride know. symbol, building the groove up, building the, you know the drums, and then out of nowhere you just got the, the all four trumpets just rocking it, and just it's just like going for it. Yep, you know, <laughs> and then you got guitar over here that's just you know quarter note, quarter note. Yep, just give me quarter note, but you know, drummers over here just doing the most, sweating his lights out, and then and it's quarter note. It's great. It's great. You get the horns, you you get everything into it. But as a horn player, like I said, you know, going forward, I I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So I picked a trumpet up. I was god awful at it for a long time, for a really really long time. I was horrible. Man, both of y'all suck that trumpet, dude. I was beast that trumpet. No, I couldn't. (laughs) What I couldn't do on it was, and and it was very simple. I couldn't play because i played by ear i couldn't and i tried to learn the note names and i couldn't do it and that's because trumpet is pitched isn't is pitched in b flat yep which sucks we're just gonna say that right now I'm sorry. so so whereas every other instrument for the most part that's that's important uh is a concert key which is a key of c yes. um trumpets in b flat and i just couldn't so i'd be like okay so i know that you know when i play on the guitar when i play like a c chord or whatever uh, the C that I was supposed to play on a trumpet is open, but it's a B flat, so it's different, and it never quite registered until I got to middle school band. Transposition. But let me go back a little bit um, from where I started to get into music theory because I think this is kind of cool. You guys might get a kick out of this. Um, go for it. I I didn't know, like, of course I didn't know uh, like what the tonic was and what the fourth was, and I I was. Is immature. I didn't know what it was, but what I did comprehend, what I did recognize, was that certain chord patterns, um, you know, they made sense, and I and I knew that, you know, for for example, I always knew that, you know, I could play a G, like a G chord on the guitar, and then I could play a C chord, and then I could play a D chord, Man. right? You're but, practically playing in church at that point. Right, right, right. <laughs> I played. I would play like. G and then I'd be like, okay, so the second chord in that pattern is C. So that's I called it the two. It's not the two, it's the four. <laughs> yeah. But um, I would call it the two, and then I call it the three. So I'd be like, okay, but if C is the two of G in my little brain, I'd be like, well, what, what's the two of the C pattern, which is F? But F's it, it's confusing. But in my brain, I worked that out when I was like seven, eight nine growing up with it so i knew what it meant i just didn't know what it meant at least you were consistently off with the two before being the two. Oh, i, I knew exactly what yeah. it, i knew what i was doing um and i knew what sounded right but going forward moving that towards trumpet what i really like what i got into was when i was like 13 years old i got some uh some money for my birthday like from my mom or whatever and I knew that I just wanted to listen to more trumpet music because I, you know, I'd been playing for a while, and I was like, I want to get it, 
get into it more. I, that was when I really sat down and I said, I want to focus and listen more. So what I listened to was I went and bought some CDs. I got the first album that I bought was Red Clay, Freddie Hubbard. So that great album, great album. What's that one trumpet player, the really famous one? Uh, Neil Armstrong, right? Yeah, no. Yeah, Neil Armstrong. <laughs> Lewis. <laughs> Lewis. Um, which we'll talk about. We'll have an episode about him, too. Um, but on that Red Clay album, some I don't know if you guys know, the the personnel on that are phenomenal. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Herbie Hancock, Joe Henderson on sax, Ron Carter on bass, and uh, Lenny White on drums. So that, like, you get a lot out of that on that one album, and I got to listen to that. I bought Sketches of Spain, which is a Miles album. And then the third album I bought, which uh, Caleb will laugh at, is – as Falls Wichita, so Falls Wichita Falls. That's a Pat Metheny album. Oh, that's, that's okay. Um, just didn't want you to say John Mayer. So. No, 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 no. Um, I have an affinity for John Mayer, uh, and you guys might might learn about that later. Um, that's important to talk about, though, because he's an incredible guitar player, and we can – I'll shut up about it. Um, but anyway, Pat Metheny was – he became the guy that I would listen to as a, even as a horn player. Because in his playing, and you guys can recognize this too, he does the whole guitar thing phenomenally. But when he improvises, you can tell that he's also influenced not just by guitar players, but by horn players. And the way that he solos, the way that he structures certain things are reminiscent of, you know, a trumpet. And, you know, he used a um, Sinclavier synthesizer system way back, you know, in the late 70s. Yeah, on that 80s. Roland guitar. The Roland yeah. guitar synth. Wow, Roland. Yeah, shout, shout out to Roland. Uh, um, and and he really sort of, he was who I listened to. So going up into middle school, early high school, I was all over the Pat Metheny tree, and I still am. Uh, and then I got to high school band. I went to Cave Spring High School in Roanoke, Virginia, under the direction of Brian Quakenbush. Hey, shout out to Brian. Shout out to Mr. Quakenbush. Um Truthfully, Mr. Quakenbush, Brian was um, one of the best things that happened to me as a young, impressionable musician because I came in with what I thought was so much knowledge of my horn and so much knowledge of jazz, and he just kind of turned that around. Wrecked. <laughs> yeah, and, and he put a lot of time into my own musicality. You know, I would stay after school, and he would just sort of go through stuff with me just for fun. Uh, and just essentially, you know, before I knew I wanted to be more serious about it, he would teach me things. And, you know, of course, it was silly for a while. Uh, as a trumpet player, uh, I was I, – I fell victim to the, you know, the only type of trumpet players that are important are lead players and high note players and screamers. And so I would I'd be like, I want to do that. I need to expand my range. I need to do that. And, you know, he was like, yeah, that's great. Get this book. And I was like really pissed off because the book was uh, a book by a guy named Lou Maggio. And I've, I've got it right here. That's the, that's the baseball player for the Yankees, right? No, that's Joe DiMaggio. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is, this is, uh, it's called The Original Louis Maggio System for Brass by Carlton McBath. And Lou Maggio was this incredible brass musician and, 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 teacher of pedagogy and this guy Carlton Macbeth wrote this book and it's just a bunch of exercise in it but it's designed he said he told me that when he was in school 
um, this is what he, this is how he got his range. And I was pissed off at it because I opened it up. And the first things that you have to do are these pedal tones. It's pedal tones all the way through. It's like, you know, you're going to go down below the natural range of the horn. And I was like, well, that, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to play high. And that really sort of, that, I guess that realization that, you know, you got to have the fundamentals before you do anything crazy. That was sort of where I, where I got that. Um, going forward, I, I really fell in love with the music of uh, Count Basie uh, in his, his orchestras and uh, also Thad Jones and Mel Lewis Orchestra. Uh, and, and their sound was so tight. And they've got a lead. His their lead player was a guy named Snooky Young. Snooky uh, sort of showed me what a big band horn player could be. Um, and, and then I also found out later on that he was like a pioneer of plunger mute tech, like the use of the plunger mute, which is a story, again, for a, a very different time. But he, um, he really also, listening to him and the way that he soloed and, and his sound sort of fixated me on the whole big band thing. So I, didn't, I guess I really didn't get into combo jazz um, until, until later. Uh, graduated, uh, bounced around for a while, went to community college for a little bit. I hear that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go to community college if you don't know what you want to do, guys. Um, totally worth saving the money. Then I went to Liberty, uh, and that's where I met these guys up in Lynchburg. Uh, we were all in jazz ensemble together, and we, you know, we played some. And it, it was a Liberty's a great environment for that. There's a lot of people that are willing to give you a chance in playing and getting on a gig with anybody. You know, uh, we haven't done the shout out yet, but uh, shout out Joe Henson. Facts. Um, an incredible musician, incredible guy. Hopefully, we can get him on here sometime. Yeah, he just played. Uh yeah, was it? Yes, he plays night. at Flat yeah, Nine. At yeah, Winchester. In yeah. Winchester with uh, DK. D- yeah, with DK. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shout out DK Kelly. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, yeah, no, Joe's a great guy, phenomenal musician. Sort of, sort of got the whole thing together for everybody. Um, but you know, I I just sort of was thrust thrust in at thrust into, um learning to improvise and learning to play this style of music because I, I really was mainly focused on big band and I was really mainly focused on lead playing. And when I, div- when I discovered, I always tell people I discovered the flugelhorn um, and I discovered what that can do as an instrument and the motifs and, and what, if you don't know, flugelhorn's a conical trumpet essentially. Um, Everybody knows Chuck Mangione. He played a flugelhorn. Uh, Clark Terry played the flugelhorn. And I listened to some of those guys, and I was like, man, that's that's the sound I want. That's what I want to be able to do. And so I would, you know, I remember the first uh, the first solo I ever transcribed. It wasn't on a flugelhorn. It was a Chet Baker tune. It was his uh, version of Autumn Leaves. So I, that was the first solo I ever transcribed. Um was Chet Baker's Autumn Leaves, and if you ask me to play it for you now, I would be doing a major disservice because I don't think I, I don't think I remember it. Um, That's okay. But essentially, my my whole love for the art, I guess you know I played a little bit in high school, but I guess in college, and going forward, it really uh, that's sort of where I learned, and that's sort of where I began to 
play combo style music and um i fell in love with improvisatory jazz and yeah cool yeah. so let's talk about your role let's move on to that yeah yeah let's so what's what's roles. your role as a trumpet player in right. uh the different kinds of settings right so so i played trumpet in uh in our group and, and a bunch of other groups and and this goes for if you play saxophone if you play trombone, if you if you are a vocalist to some extent, if you scat, if you even play guitar uh, melodically, but that's what that's what we are. We are the melody instrument. Um, I can't very well keep rhythm on the trumpet. You know, it's it's possible, but you know, it's not a it's not a rhythmic instrument. I'm not supposed to set a groove. I'm not supposed to you know have this. I guess idea of you know it's you can but being an individual trumpet player playing jazz doesn't work all that well you know what works well is when you got these guys to back everybody up and so what I've got with as a horn player is the ability to play melody the ability to sort of functionally lead the group and lead the chart in that way um, almost you know, if you play rock music, kind of like, you know, either your lead guitarist or your or, or your singer or your vocalist. Um, obviously, it's not going to sound the same if you know, whatever Robert Plant's on stage singing "Stairway" by himself, right? Um, it'd still be musical. It'd still be musical because Robert Plant's a, a genius. Well, it's yes, um, but but you need the other guys to back you up. So what we do as horn players is. We, we focus in on the melody. We provide the setup for the rest of the group in terms of keeping that melody consistent. We can veer from the melody. We, we elaborate on the chords that the chordal instruments are playing in the way we're playing the melody. Um, that's something that's, that's a really cool uh, part of being a horn player. Because, um, you know guitar player unless you're weird you've got essentially five fingers to work with mainly four Rick, i say Reinhardt. i say <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah he played with two but i mean you know what I'm t i mean if you're gonna be playing yeah. chords i mean in a piano player you've got 10 digits to work with so your chords are limited in that you know there's not like on a live gig you can't do the whole jacob collier thing where you're doing these like 15, 16, 17, 18 voice chords, uh, unless you've got, unless you're Jacob Collier. Those are them extensions right there. Lots of those extensions. Um, so, so what we do as horn players is we can extend those. We can be an extra one note or two notes on top of whatever chord it is. Uh, call it color. Yeah. yeah it's, it's color and flavor. It's really what it is. Just extra color and texture to it. Just yeah. to make it sound more fuller. That's that's what we do, um, and then obviously, improvisation is something that that horn players are are pretty hope hopefully <laughs> uh, set on something as to what they need to be doing. That that's what our role is: playing the melody. We play the written part of the melody. We play the head, and then we improvise a solo over whatever chord changes and whatever rhythm, whatever groove, whatever feel 
these guys set up for us, the rhythm guys set up for us, um, we can take that and we can, again, extend the color of that. We can elaborate on the groove and, and feel that. And, and it's, really, it's really more about expressing one's own individual voice through that, which is why I think the trumpet is a really great mechanism for it because it's a really loud voice, you know? Uh, everybody says the instrument always fits the person, and I, I don't know if I would agree with that in terms of my own playing because, um, you know, day-to-day life I'm a quiet guy, but when I get in front of the horn – I'm able to express, you know, what I really want to express, which is being loud and bold and brash and extroverted and all of these things. Uh, as a horn player, you have that ability to sort of shine individually and and project that because that's what we are. We're wind instruments. We use our breath and our being to project um, whatever we want, you know, onto the audience through our solo. And then uh, the other part, you know, sort of getting back into it is is how we have to work with the rhythm section in in what we do. So I guess I guess the next natural bridge would be Caleb. What 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 does the guitar do? Because the guitar has a really important role uh, and a really unique role and it can always have a really unique role. And Caleb's role is even more unique cuz he plays a seventh string in our little trio cuz we've got uh, just ching ching ling ling. We've got staffing difficulties. Staffing. I like I like the way that's put. Staffing difficulties. So the guitar player is kind of an interesting role and it sometimes is an unfortunate one because in a very typical setting, a lot of people prefer to have piano players. Um and essentially what my job is is <laughs> is to really just fake being everybody else. <laughs> I'm supposed to wa- I'm supposed to you know, comp chords, and I'm supposed to play just like a piano player, and then I'm supposed to um, also, um, I'm supposed to, you know, play horn lines, and, you know, supposed to play melodies, and all that stuff, and it really makes my job a bit uh, interesting trying to figure out where my place is to fit, Um, and I probably have to break that into a couple different areas. Um, The first one is knowing, and this is a very good thing for most players is knowing when to shut up (laughs) ah that applies to drummers too so like you're not the only one yeah like it just um it's one of those things that you just have to know sometimes when to not play and you know working with other musicians can be uh can be uh quite a challenging feat at times you know figuring out when to not play like um, when I'm working with, you know, piano players, piano players have an extraordinary ability to kind of bounce around in their range. They like to play the low end, you know, and they like to play all the chords at the top, and Im- you know, kind of, you know, invert chords and go up scales and stuff like that. And that's that's all great. My job is to not be in the same range that they are playing in. Which, you know, <laughs> if you have somebody that's kind of moving back and forth between all the different positions on the guitar, right? but on piano, mm-hmm. then we're um, telling myself, it's just like, all right, well, maybe, you know, maybe this guy's got it. Or this lady. Um, and then that that's fair. where, like, listening comes into play, you know, even in, like, a gig situation, you know, making sure everybody's just kind of 
listening and then you know after a while practicing with each other everybody figure out like you know who's playing what oh yeah and then eventually when you start learning you know the people that you play with but also other people you kind of can figure out who takes on what role yeah i mean in a, in a in a combo setting when i'm playing a lot um in a combo setting i'm playing a lot more you know play the upper end of the chord don't don't focus on the root you know try to try to not worry about the fifth just focus the third seven and yeah. all the extensions figure out how you can arrange them to be uh kind of pretty and what's the meaty part that's going to make the piece sound like an actual piece right that's that's kind of how i think of it like what's the actual chunks that you need for this ensemble that you're playing with that's yeah, actually which is make the, it sound full. which is the three and seven i mean yeah. when you when you break it down to uh when you think about uh you know go back to count basie and freddie green like freddie green was the master at chunking chords through his entire song and then you know that it sometimes wasn't even an entire chord like he would literally just try to sound like a tenor player that was you know trying to play a counter line he would do these yeah these two these two note or three note lines yep. that he or uh, two note three note voicings that he would just kind of move and that's it you know yeah matt's got it over here. he's laying down so um as a guitar player i have to know you know, when to shut up, when to limit myself, you know, especially. But, you know, as an improviser, you know. Just like that. We talked about uh, Pat Metheny earlier. And we talked, you know, you can go back into all the different people like, you know, Jim Hall, um, you know, Ted Green, Joe Pass, and all those people <laughs> who <laughs> Joe kind Pass. of. Yeah, Joe Pass. Shout he out to Joe Pass. <laughs> shout out to Joe Pass. His yeah, his estate. Yeah, um, but when it comes down to it, you have to kind of pick and choose where you're going to do this sort of thing. Now, when we get into the extended range of the instrument with, um, you know, playing my seven string, you know, I'm still trying to get on board with that. That's still a whole other animal to uh, tackle. But in the line of things, I'm all of a sudden kind of going back to, all right, cool, well, I'm trying to keep, you know, hint on the melody note on the very top of the chord then i'm trying to play everything that makes the chord the chord you know simply a bit more simple simpler simpler um trying to reduce it down to not being too much but enough that it gives you the essence of exactly what you need and then i'm also focusing on you know reaching that you know, that first finger all the way across the fretboard trying to hit those bass notes and saying, all right, cool, so how ca how can I, you know, do I need to walk a bass line here or do I need to just, you know, on bassas and sambas and stuff like that, do I need to just do a root and a fifth, you know, or even on ballads, you know, root and fifth. Sometimes you really don't need that whole walking through tunes. Right. But, yeah, that's pretty much my job as a guitar player is, is either to – you know, make everybody else look good and try to intimidate or uh, imitate them, not intimidate, imitate them or um, or sometimes just staying out of the way. Yeah, that's what you can kind of be. That's what's really important to um, that you shut up now. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> no, no. Um, what's important about about that is there's 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 uh, 
there's sometimes more to be said in silence than there is in in noise um and that's something that i know as a horn player is like really important because i could set you know my solo up or something to where maybe i'm you know wanting caleb to you know break and and not play like a full chunked out solo of course sometimes i want him to do that but sometimes i don't and what's really important as a guitar player i i would assume and guess um is being able to identify that right yeah definitely and it, and it comes down to like the really comes down to the personnel like if we have a keys player on with us you know then chances are i'm not i am not going to need to um i'm gonna need to focus more on the of the chunk um, because you know they'll start kind of moving, uh, moving around a lot. You know, adding a little bit, you know, extra different texture, and then. Um, but you know, if we're sitting here on, if we're just you know sitting here as our trio, you know, then my goal is to you know sort of kind of keep tempo and the chunk and everything. But I'm supposed to make sure that I can, you know, still access those nice colors and textures and everything to make sure that. You know, as we're as you're listening, mm-hmm. when you're improvising and everything, you know, we don't sit there and just plan out our solos. You know, we you just you have to sit there and listen, and you're just like, oh, I hear that. You know, this is in my head. Right. You know, that's that's what it comes to. I have to make sure I can put that on there and say, yeah, there we go. Here, Matt, take this. So yeah, Bobby, tell oh. me what is the role of the drummer? Ah, so um, for the drummer. You bang on stuff. Nah. It's That's definitely it. not Episode's the over. I know, right? Episode's <laughs> over. Um, well, I would like to say for the drummer, uh, the foundation of us, I consider it like this. Um, how I learned it and like how I like to explain it myself, think of it like as the engine room. Think of it like a, of an automobile. Um, the drummer essentially is the engine of the whole entire vehicle. And then I also like to think of, you know, like the other parts of the vehicle is just like your extra people you have your trumpet players you have your saxophone players you you have your brass instrument wind instruments so on and so forth um and what the drummer's main course is to keep everybody pretty much in that centralized tempo or that centralized beat or whatever that piece they're playing it playing and then also whatever style of piece they're playing so essentially the drummer is going to bring that foundation of that groove for example um depending on what styles we're playing, the drummer's going to give that foundation of, like, a bossa, for example. So it's going to be a little bit more kind of styles where it's in that Latin groove, but a little bit up-tempo and also going to be slow. So nobody else is going to be able to give that rhythm or that basically groove that anybody else can play of the... So having that basic foundation... Um, feeding off of the bass player who is going to be plucking the strings of the dum 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 dum. Um, now we're going to really be taking that into the drum set effect of okay, how can I take that basic rhythm and put it into just actual rhythmic drums, not melodic. Right. So now we're kind of getting that situation. The drummer is going to be the driving force so nobody gets off, but also at the same time, the drummer is also pushing the tune forward to each individual. I like to call grouping. Um, so, like, the first, you have the intro, your choruses and stuff. So, we're going to be essentially setting up each transition to each actual part of the actual piece itself. So, we don't want everything to sound the same. So, say, for instance, obviously, I'm going to play my intro. 
a little different, but I'm also going to play my chorus and my verse a little bit differently as well. But then whenever we get to the outro, the actual piece, I'm going to play that a lot differently as well to be bigger than the whole entire piece itself. And that's also establishing how we're coming to the end as well. Right. And and just touching on that, um, go back to that whole thing about the shout chorus in a big band chart. Yeah. Um, the drummer has a really, really important role in that, setting all of that up, ushering in that big thing. Yeah. Um, you know, R. Blakey did that very, very mm-hmm. well. I think uh, Buddy Rich did that phenomenally yeah. as and well. And it's one of those things as a drummer, most of our real job is to listen what's ahead, but also at the same time to prepare what's before. Um, so for at, to be a drummer, you definitely need to know what's coming beforehand before it's being played, but also at the same time just know where you need to be played and where you need to be heard. Right, you don't want to be stepping over somebody else with that. You know, if somebody's in the middle of solo, you don't want to start just vamping it up at the same time. Yeah. Like, you need to know when that section has to be set up. Yeah, and good thing about that is, uh, I like about drumming is, you can set certain things up without others knowing. Um, and that's what makes, you know, drums kind of exciting. So, setting up certain solos and setting up certain just kind of cues for other people um, is one thing that I've learned over time, just playing with each other. You can nonchalantly kind of give them that cue or just visually by playing, they know when a certain section is going to come up or when you need to do something that's going to be safer and a little bit different as well. And then also communicating with each other is another big thing as well, just in between each individual musician that uh, is a big camaraderie just as a drummer as itself, just listening to your fellow mates while they're playing and figuring out what type of styles and what type of, you know, solos they're just thinking in their head. See if you can, like, actually speak on that, you know, play what they play at the same time. <laughs> I was trying to see if you could pick up if I was going to say something, you know. I was giving you a look. Man, it's always about the look in jazz, man. If you ever watch any Amen. person. And it's funny because, uh, was it, you guys seen that movie Soul, right? Um, we all thought it was about jazz. We're going to be real right now. Dude, Before I even looked at it, I was like, oh, yeah, they're going to be playing so many jazz charts in here. Then I instantly remember. I was it's like, literally at the beginning, and then it's the very end. Yeah, that's it. And then but I was uh, like, spot your soul. Was it? She s- she sets up the, uh, was it, uh, the saxophone player. Literally. Well, and and pause. Um, I thought it was going to be, it was a great movie, but um, I don't believe it. Liberty University could endorse that movie as a good tenant oh, yeah, up there. No. Um, yeah, no, yeah. probably not. They sit there. um was it she goes to set up him on a solo and she doesn't even give him any eye contact. She finishes the melody and then she just kind of nonchalantly by her sides waves her finger. You just kind of s- like she's like Wingardium Leviosa. Oh yeah, I did I did peep that because like one of those things I've always done like at gigs and learned is like don't let your crowd know what you're doing. Like I've always been very quiet when I'm at gigs and kind of just like very just to myself but I only give kind of like mental cues and like kind of just very slight cues. I never like to announce like what I'm going to do or like what I'm going to play next. It's one of those things I want the crowd just to kind of be in question on what's going to happen next and then yeah. like, hey, you didn't see me whenever I definitely look, but like when I play a lot and with these guys, for example, I definitely give visuals and it's very stale face visuals, but it's visuals at least we know where we're going because we've looked at each other over time where it's like, okay. I know this doesn't work, but I like I know I want to like move on to another section, and it's just like, hey, let's go ahead and move on, and like, hey, let's do the same thing over and over again. So, definitely the visual cues and the looks, raising the eyebrows and smiling, and you know all those, they definitely mean a lot. 
So if you ever like, you know, see any musician playing, just catch those looks. Just it's it's a a deeper communication than you think. Yeah. Um, internally than externally because yes, we are communicating externally, but we're also communicating without talking to each other as well on stage, and that's one of those things called stage practice. And then uh, the going going off of that, even you know, you'll you'll see you know, if you really pay attention. You'll see horn players telling rhythm section players, or just bringing up ideas just by you know you can you can see what they're looking at. Or sometimes you know I can flash the three of them. I could hold up my fingers like I am now. No, no, no. He flashes us. It's <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> I could, I could, <laughs> I could, I could flash up like a four on my hand and just be like four. And I could be talking about the next chart is going to be Miles Davis four, but no. I'll trade fours. We're gonna be yeah. trading fours. It'd be like, hey, trade, 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 and you know, wiggle my finger around in a circle because it's a podcast and you can't see what we're doing visually. Yeah. Um, but those sort of nonverbal cues are a really big part of of how rhythm and horn and guitar and how all of that they all can interact without just playing their music. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I stopped the conversation there. <laughs> there's more segues. Nah, there's always, because we're still on the uh, kind of like, you know, what my role is. And I really only got kind of into like just the gist of it. Um, another thing in the jazz world for drummers. Fun fact, most of us actually don't only just play drums. So if you're going to be studying that jazz, we actually also do play mallets as well. So. <laughs> Actually, I do get the opportunity to play melodic instruments. As of right now, I haven't been able to because it's been kind of hard to, you know, look for the personal right vibraphone to own of my own self. It I'm just buy a set of vibes. I just want a f- set of vibes <laughs> to own so I can, you know, definitely practice at home and then take it out yeah. the gig myself. Um, but being able to have that melodic form in my pocket definitely helps as having that role because one thing as a drummer – um, interpreting other instruments, pretty much the thing I was saying with tempo. So that listening factor I was telling you about, sometimes as a drummer, even though we are the foundation of the tempo, always keeping that pulse of what that beat is, I also still do listen to other musicians as well. So for example, guitar. Even though guitar might seem like they're actually the ones that you know are just in the middle line and just kind of awesome. out there. The, the word you're looking for is awesome. There you go. Or awesome. Um, those quarter notes. Occasionally, you know, there there are some charts where it's just like, all right, there's so much going on in this big band chart, where it's like, I need to figure out where that foundation at. There always is usually a secondary foundation in, in a band. The drum set's going to be your main one. Uh, well, actually, let's put it like this. Rhythm section is your main one. Then your individual instruments after that, obviously, like bass, um, depending on whether or not they're playing holes, tones, or if they're walking, up the, um, walking down the line as well. The next person that's going to be playing a consecutive rhythm or just set of notes it's going to be guitar they're going to still keep that same tempo beat so i always like to listen out for that just to make sure you know i'm still in pocket but also let's keep that pocket back as well too let's not rush it because the secondary person that's going to be able to rush it it's going to be our string instruments automatically because it's it's very it's going to be the guitar player it's it's going to be very relaxed but like there's going to be times where we can get relaxed and there's going to be times that I make it relax. So listening to each other and making sure we're always being attentive to each other definitely helps keep the rest of the band in play. <laughs> the other night when Matt, uh, yesterday night or Friday night when Matt and I were playing, 
I started messing with him. We started. Uh, we we were just like, he's like Cherokee. I was like, yeah, let's do Cherokee. Let's do, but let's do it like at this right here. And I was like, all right, let's play it like right here. So we started going through. Uh, then we started going through the head of the tune, and then I started. Uh, I started feeling myself speeding up a little bit because it was in in my head. Like I'm, I'm <laughs> thinking about it faster, but um, I'm thinking about you know walking the bass, and you know how I'm comping on the seven string over Cherokee when the trumpet has the melody and then when matt starts taking off in the uh in his improv everything was fine we get to the b section i don't know what happened but i started speeding up like a lot right (laughs) and and so no in in that moment that's good that you brought that up too because looking back on that i didn't fulfill my role because i wasn't listening to caleb i was feeling whatever the hell i was playing at the time and and then i i stopped and like i had a brain moment i'm like what are you doing playing that chord? You, you're spe- oh, and then I thought to myself, this guy's sped up. Oh and, yeah. And and then it, then I recognized that, and he knew that I recognized that. So then he started messing with the tempo on me. So I'd be playing something, and he would just go, you know, and and I was just, I was I was lost in that. And but but we you bring it back around the point about that is it the at least you know when you play duo music or whatever that the rhythm section does really steer everything because caleb could have you know very well taken that from you know where we had started it and he could have sped that up you know up to where i usually like to play it at like 300 he could have sped that up and I'd have been fine. I, I could not have sped it up to there actually. <laughs> <laughs> it would just sound like a train wreck. <laughs> um but, but that's another point. That's like something that if you we, we were to play it fast, it would work really well, but we would need an additional instrument. We would need Bobby oh, yeah. to play that because then, you know, all he's doing, he's not having to worry about whereas like when Caleb does it, when Caleb and I play just the two of us, Caleb has a more he has to he can't and I don't want to say this like this isn't negative at all, but he can't like he can't play free like I know that he likes to because he's got to provide the rhythm for it. Whereas when we've got Bobby, Bobby can play the rhythm and Caleb can sort of the just be playing. Yeah, yeah, play I can, more. I can, st- right. I can choose when to you place can choose my chords. When, yeah, so to kind of keep place in the form and everything like right. that. But I'm not, you know, strictly thinking about having to keep that steady chord note. One two three four. One two three four. One two three four. Right. One two three four. Right. Cherokee's a good tune to talk about. Um, we'll save that for another one. We'll save that yeah. for another one. Uh, just maybe we'll do an audio clip, actually. Yeah, maybe maybe we will. Um, actually, you know what? I will. Um, uh, the next clip that you guys hear is just a brief section of the Wanakoi Lab Band um, playing, playing Cherokee with Sean Jones, who's an incredible trumpet player. So you guys will hear that somewhere in here during this blurb of speech. And yeah, no, and and <laughs> and now and, and now after hearing that you understand how fast of a chart that that can be. Um but I guess I guess circling back um and and you know leading this thing towards a close cuz you know we're already an hour and 15 into it. Oh shoot. Um what what I want to discuss in <laughs> what's 
the, we told you guys from the very beginning, we're really just into talking about this all the time. I could talk for more hours about this. Um, and, and that's why, you know, this isn't a one-off thing. We're going to keep providing you guys with this education that hopefully someone out there will listen to and gain value of. Um, for now, we're sticking with the name Generation Jazz, uh, and that stems from semicolon. <laughs> generation sem- semicolon jazz. Um, and that's just because, you know, we are the generation of, of technology. We are the generation of electronic music. We are the, that's what everybody is going to associate us with. But we want to take it a step back because, you know, truth be told, there's a lot of good that can come from, as a musician, looking at the road of people. Like, you know, there's nothing wrong with listening and gaining inspiration from, you know, Beethoven and Bach uh, to this day. You can still, musicians are still influenced by them. And what we want to do is sort of show the next generation of musicians and our contemporaries uh, whoever you know really is trying to get into it, that you know we're not perfect people. We're not perfect musicians. We're not famous in any regard. Um, what we're trying to do though is spread the joy that we have found individually and together by making this type of music. And we want to go forth and and you know dig into how these sections talk. We want to dig into music theory. We want to dig into. Um, you know, artists like I like we mentioned earlier, Snarky Puppy, definitely got to talk about them. Talk about the amazing stuff that Michael League has done, Corey Henry, those guys. You know, anybody like that. So, um, once this is up on the internet, you guys will see there's gonna be a, uh, a, a leave us a comment section. Um, I'm gonna set up a Gmail. Ooh. We're gonna plug up a Gmail. So send us an email. Um, we're going to try and respond here. I guess I haven't set the Gmail up, so I don't know if it's taken or not, but we're just going to try, you know, Generation Jazz Podcast, all one word, no colon, uh, at, at gmail.com. So just Generation Jazz Podcast. Reach out to us. Um, if you want us to talk about something, if you have any questions for us individually, um, if you like the sound of my voice, I'm single. Uh, <laughs> got him. Uh, got to do that. Um happy to happy to talk to you guys about anything like that um if you want to talk about you know just how how bobby and i'll answer questions too it's okay you know yeah no no yeah that's true that's true we'll all have access to the email account yeah yeah. so you'll get the luck of the draw we'll all answer questions it just depends on who will answer who will answer your question we'll try and all keep up with it and um to the you know two of us that the two of you out there that may listen to this on the first get drop uh thank you thank you for listening this has been um really fun i'm i'm looking forward to talking about that next next week or whenever we record again whenever two we weeks. drop yeah next in oh. the ne- not next week but the week after yeah. uh we'll drop we'll drop another one every other work thing you know. we'll, we'll try and figure out you know what we'll talk about next week because we haven't thought about that yet but um It'll be something cool, yeah. for sure, for sure. So thank you guys for listening. Thanks to these guys for driving down and oh, yeah. recording this and, and being a part of this, uh, being part of my crazy idea, I <laughs> guess. Um, and, yeah, hope hope everybody has a good evening or morning or noon or night whenever you're listening to it. Yeah. Did we say goodbye? Is that what? I, I was just I was just Goodbye from there. Caleb. Till the next episode, everyone. La-da-da-da.